So it's great to be joined by Jackie Smith, uh, Chair of Arts Health. Jackie, good morning and thank you for your time. I think I've got to start by asking you a little bit about your journey, former Home Secretary, to Chairman of an NHS Trust and Barts wasn't your first. No, no it wasn't Anne and I mean the way things are at the moment, who wouldn't want to have left the political world in order to do something perhaps slightly um, calmer? But you're right. I mean, I spent um, 13 years as a member of parliament and 10 years as a minister in the Labour government between 1997 and 2010. I did actually spend two years as a health minister um, way back in um, 2001. And then when I left Parliament uh, in 2010, obviously, I was thinking how, you know, what, what is my next challenge? What are the things that I'm interested in that I'd now like to be able to focus on? And it was actually Gisela Stewart, the MP for Edgbaston, who approached me back in 2012 and said, um, there's a chair role coming up at um, what was then University Hospitals Birmingham, which was just the QE. And um, is this something you'd be interested in? And I sort of pondered on it. And I thought, well, yes, this is a really interesting public service challenge, which manages to combine as we know, one of the sort of joys of being a minister is that you you both get to do sort of policy work, but also through your constituency and through the visits and other things that you do, you get to see what's happening in real life as close to the front line as it's possible to get. And um, sure enough, I was very fortunate to become the chair at uh, UHB, which in the time that I was there then um, doubled in size um, and was responsible for most of the acute pro um, provision across Birmingham and Solihull. And it was it was and is a fascinating job to be able to work at the, the bit of the NHS, which, um, you know, is quite often most in the sort of spotlight in terms of the um uh, the work that's happening rightly or wrongly and we might we might come on to yes. that um but uh and to be closer to where the patients were the work with the community was the staff were and then when i came you know rightly in good governance terms to the end of my period of time at um uhb uh, I was then asked if I'd be interested in applying for the chair in common role across Bart's Health and Barking, Havering and um, Redbridge. And I thought, well, I've got a bit of a, I've sort of got the NHS bug now. I enjoy this um, work. And it was obvious in North East London that there was a job to be done in terms of thinking about how those two trusts could better collaborate together. It was a part of the country where... Some of the things that I'd sort of developed an interest in whilst I was at UHB, not least working alongside yourself and um, uh, the Purpose Health Coalition, were really going to be impactful because this is a community that has got a lot of health inequalities, a lot of needs, and where large NHS trusts have got a fundamentally important role to play in not just providing the healthcare day to day, but in supporting more widely the development of the community. So um, that was the reason why last October I moved from Birmingham to London and I'm thoroughly enjoying the work. It's, it's interesting you talk about you, you got the bug. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, as you know, I trained as a nurse 
and worked in the NHS for 25 years. And I think it's something that never leaves you. And once you go into it, you really want to do everything that you can to try and make this huge service, um, which is serving such a wide variety of not just health conditions, but people, variety of backgrounds. And you want to do all you can to make that work better. So it's great. And of course, Bart's Health, if you're covering Barking, Havering and Redbridge, that's a huge area uh, with mm. massive um, disparities in health, you know, areas of, of significant affluence and um, real social deprivation, social and economic deprivation. And I know that you have started up a hub at Newham College and it was a pleasure to go and visit there. It'd be great, you know, to hear more about that, particularly as there's so much talk about reskilling people, upskilling people, and also taking into work people who've never even considered a job in the NHS. No, absolutely. And I mean, you're and you're absolutely right, of course, that in any part of the NHS, but particularly in a trust as large as Bart's Health and alongside the partnership that we have with Barking, Havering and Redbridge, we are the largest employer in a part of London, a part of the country where um, the social determinants of health are impacting on the people who are uh, going to be ending up in our hospitals and where therefore we feel we have a responsibility to do something to help to tackle the deprivation and the challenges that people are facing in that part of the country. So um, you're right that we've thought in a whole range of ways about how we can use that power as an, a very, very big employer to support people into the NHS. Now, of course, there's an element of self-interest in this as well, because as we know, one of the biggest challenges for us in the NHS is finding the people to fill those roles. So, you know, it's, it's right to be looking um, at encouraging people to look to the NHS as a career. So, uh, yeah, first of all, as you say, the, the um, Bart's Health Futures Hub at Newham College is a great initiative, and it was, it was brilliant back in April to be able to visit it um, with you. It's been open since last... October. It's a really good partnership with um, Newham College, Newham FE College. And essentially what we're doing there is we've developed this training facility for healthcare and life sciences. And it's aimed at encouraging more young people to actually want to come and work for the NHS. And it's bringing together healthcare professionals and trainers, innovators, researchers, um, patients, um, to increase employment opportunities for young people in a whole range of healthcare and life sciences um, roles. And so it offers everything from careers advice to pre-employment uh, training through to apprenticeships in a range of healthcare and life sciences um, career. So it's a really important part of our role as an anchor institution. It means that we are supporting people who perhaps have come from more difficult backgrounds who perhaps wouldn't have thought about coming into healthcare. And I think when you and I were there, Anne, we met with, um, I think we met with some people who were um, asylum seekers. We met with some people who'd got um, childcare responsibilities and hadn't been able to access work in other ways, all of whom were really enthusiastic about the opportunities that were being offered to them by that 
healthcare hub and who, you know, hopefully will be bringing into Bart's Health, but to other parts of the health and social care system as well, to, to contribute to the care that we're providing, but also to have, you know, in the context of many of the jobs that might be available to them, good, stable jobs, which will enable them to support their families and to support their health. And it's great to hear about the collaboration with Newham College. Um, you know, as former skills and apprenticeship minister, mm. and you know, there's FE colleges which which don't get a shout out as much as they should. Really, do a brilliant job, giving not just young people but older people as well. You know, sometimes second, third, or even fourth chance um, to get a good job and and start a career. And with re with respect to the social determinants of health, of course education correlates so closely with mm. good public health outcomes. It is the one thing that any government can do, any anchor institution can do, that will really make a difference to the health of the local population. Because um, you, you have, as an NHS trust, urgent stuff. There's always urgent stuff going on. But there's also those important bits of work which are about improving the public's health. And yeah. I'm sure you must be seeing that with some of the people that you're reskilling, upskilling and, and taking into the workplace. No, that's uh, that's absolutely right. I think one of the most important changes almost that I've seen in the time that I've been working in acute health providers is this understanding that, of course, we will be held to account for how quickly we get people um, you know, through our emergency department, how quickly we bring down waiting lists at the moment, of course, how quickly we can recover from the COVID pandemic. But the types of um, ill health that will bring people into our hospitals in the first place don't start within the hospital walls and they can't be solved within the hospital walls. They will be determined quite often by factors outside the hospital, but which the NHS, when it focuses its attention properly, can have an impact on. So you rightly, you say education is a major determinant. Of course, having a good job is a major determinant. So if we can provide higher quality employment to people um, in our uh, areas, um, that's going to help with um, uh, support. We're also reaching out to young people to think about the NHS as a career. A lovely project that we do called Project Search in East London, which is about providing internships for young people with special educational needs, giving them placements in our hospitals, that offer them work experience, employability skills, training, and then paid employment roles. And, you know, let's not forget one of the things that we learnt during the course of the COVID pandemic is that people with learning disabilities were some of those most seriously impacted by COVID and with the worst health outcomes. So if we can support people um, in those circumstances with employment opportunities as well, then as I suggested earlier, it really is the win-win. We're getting enthusiastic people who want to come and work with us. We're supporting people who would otherwise have bad health outcomes. Hopefully, you know, we're meaning we're, we're reducing those people who end up in our in the most acute part of the, the health service in our um, hospitals as well. So it feels a right thing to do, both morally and pragmatically, to be that sort of anchor institution as a big trust like we are at Barts. 
Yeah, and I think um, lots of other areas have got much to learn from you. You you mentioned people with learning disability and difficulties, and th there are groups in the employment market who are very excluded from the workplace. I, off the top of my head, for those with a learning disability, I think only 5% of them are in employment. So, as you say, it does give you the opportunity to do what is, you know, known as social value recruitment, but it's going to become mm -hmm. increasingly important. And, you know, the impact of COVID, I, I always say, I don't think it's going to be for 10 years that the NHS will recover from the impact of, from COVID. And there will be lots of people um, who will suffer for, for a long time from you know, not just the health consequences of COVID, but the employment consequences of COVID. So do you feel, would you have a message to other trusts as to, because often these things can feel very difficult to set up and yeah. get off the road. Would you have a message to other trusts as to how, you know, what are the steps they need to take to get this sort of project off the ground? Well, first of all, I think it's, it's a really important thing to do. It's, of course, it isn't in some ways, you know, people might say, but it's not our core business. It's not the thing that we're going to be held to account for, except that, of course, if it helps you to get good quality staff and, and people through the door, and if it reduces the demand on your services, then it's a very, you know, pragmatically, as I've suggested, it's a very good thing to do. Secondly, you know, look around at the organisations that are already doing it. And, um, you know, and I know that I think it's today that you're publishing the, the white paper that the Perfect Health Coalition have put together with a load of really good examples of other trusts like Bart's and others who are doing this type of of work so there are some ideas you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel here there are some good ideas out there to look at to help to give you some inspiration and as we were talking about earlier quite often there are partners really keen to work with you whether or not that's schools that want you know to learn you you to tell them more about for their pupils about what's available in the nhs whether it's fe colleges who would be wanting to work with you as a very big employer in the area to help to develop skills and apprenticeship uh, opportunities whether or not it's it's um you know local authorities we we work with uh, who help us to identify a match candidates who are particularly facing disadvantages so you know in our in our uh, communities we have a, a high proportion of people who are homeless a very transient population um, uh, people who are vulnerable in other ways if we can as we do prioritize you know we, we've got schemes that will particularly prioritize local people who might otherwise face barriers to uh, work to be local hires in the trust and we do that by working alongside local government in order to identify who those people are so it makes sense to do it there are some good examples of pra good practice out there already and there will be partners around you who will want to work alongside you to do it i mean as you say th th this is about your workforce challenges and improving the health and well-being of your local population with one hit, if you like it, it was through one exactly. action. And, you know, you mentioned the homeless, we, we, other groups, you know, people who are leaving care would be another mm -hmm. group that I, I think are important because often very disadvantaged in the workplace. And of course, from my time as apprenticeship minister, I know that retention of apprenticeships is much higher. 
And, and so if you, you can start people on a, on a learning journey um, for want of a better expression, then they're much more likely to stay with you. And if they're local, they're much more likely to stay with yeah. you. No, that's, that's absolutely right. You have, a, you have a responsibility to your local community to provide opportunities as the anchor institutions that we want to be. But it, there's everything to be gained by doing it, as you say, because you're improving the health and wealth of the communities that you're operating in. And you're getting loyal staff who will want to continue working with you because that's convenient. I mean, you, alongside that, of course, you also have to put the work that we're doing at Barts to make sure that we are an inclusive workplace somewhere where, you know, you, you will have a warm welcome you can bring all of yourself to work you will have um opportunities to get on regardless of the background that you've uh, come from and uh, you know that's a very important part of our overall objectives as a as a trust because we want to provide work but we want to provide good work where people can get on and get to the most uh, senior levels, particularly coming from some of the ethnic minority groups that um, there are in Northeast London. You know, we've got more than 60% of our population who come from uh, a Black, Asian or minority ethnic background. And we've got more than half of our staff who do. So it's also important that people get jobs, get good jobs, and then they get a fair deal when they're in uh, employment with us as well. Yeah. And, and that progression bit is also important, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you want a diverse workforce that reflects the local population, particularly at more senior levels, then that mentoring and support of people throughout their careers becomes increasingly important. Um, it, it raises aspiration because lots of people feel that jobs like them aren't for people like me, you know, mm. going to more senior levels. So those support mechanisms are, are really critical. That's exactly right. And we've got, you know, we know, despite the efforts that we're putting into it at Bart's Health, we've got more work that we need to do because, um, as I say, we've got more than 50 percent of our um, workforce that comes from um, uh, black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. We haven't yet got more than 50 percent of the board. So, you know, we've yes. got to encourage people to get into those senior uh, those senior positions as well. And we're working on it. Yeah, no, it, it, it takes time to filter through. But, um, you know, as you, you rightly say, we, we are publishing a leadership report that is going to be full of important examples from small and big organisations up and down the country where people are really showing leadership in getting on and doing not just, as I say, the urgent stuff, but the important stuff as well. And I'm sure you talk to other chairs of NHS Trust and you will also have seen similar examples of um, organisations that are really doing a fantastic job. I think the Purpose Health Coalition, when I started working with it, we weren't, you know, I wasn't terribly sure how trusts, how keen trusts would be to get involved, but actually I've been overwhelmed with the support that we've had. So it just goes to show that despite everything that the NHS has been through over the last couple of years, which has been so difficult and so challenging, and with the challenges ahead, they're still keen to make this Phoenix from the Ashes moment and really start to look at health yeah. differently. 
I think that's absolutely right, because if we learnt anything during the course of the pandemic, I mean, we knew it before, but it's been brought into stark relief during the pandemic that health inequalities impact completely on people's lives and sadly on their deaths as well. And that there's something that we can we can do about it and that we are such an important part of the communities that we're operating in. So, you know, we've talked rightly, we've talked quite a lot about education and employment, but, you know, there are other things. We're big spenders of money, of course. So if we can find ways in which we procure from uh, uh, local communities, as well as, um, uh, you know, from some of the big suppliers, that's going to make a difference to the wealth that's going into local areas. We're big um, users of resource so you know we've worked very hard at Barts on our green plan and you know we hope that that's going to have an impact on things like the air quality that is bringing children into the hospital in the first place so there's a whole range of of ways that we can make those differences and of course increasingly with the development of integrated care systems we've got a focus in health on tackling um, health in a qualities at sort of system system level so I think there is a you know you 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 asked earlier on Anne about what we could do to help organizations to do this more I think there is a real will but there needs to be the type of practical advice that's being offered in the report the type of support in sharing best practice Um, and as you say when I talk to other chairs they're they're always keen to talk to me about what we're doing and to learn from from that you know and sometimes in the NHS we haven't always been you know we are one organization but we're not always very good at sharing things so if there's more that we can do to help people to find the ways to deliver the things that they I'm sure that they want to do then that's all you know a very good and important contribution. I I think your point about sharing is is really well made I I often say people go to conferences and listen to best practice and somebody stands on the stage and talks about what they're doing and then everything thinks it's marvellous and goes away and, and takes no notice because <laughs> because they're very busy so so we have to find a different way of doing that and the purpose health coalition is all about finding a different way of doing that and you know we run round tables and do podcasts like this to, to help move the dial on that sort of thing i think um you know if we can just step away from that it, I think that it's very difficult for the NHS at the moment with a very, very competitive employment market. Mm. You know, you have fixed terms and conditions of service and pay levels for your staff, and you're now competing with the private sector that can vary their terms and conditions of pay. Do you think that's going to become an increasingly challenging for the NHS? I think, you know, employment of the right staff in the NHS is probably the most difficult challenge that we that we face um, and that's why we need to think about all of the ways that we can encourage people into NHS careers so you know I mentioned how we can tell young people for example the range of careers that there are in the NHS because as, as we know you know it t- there tends to be this shorthand that says doctors and nurses so people think the only people that work in the NHS are doctors and nurses now they're crucially important but alongside them they have the receptionists they have the clinical engineers they have the um uh, the allied health professionals they 
have all of the other people, you know, the managers who are so sort of um, uh, sometimes so um, badly thought of, but of, but who, of course, in the UK, we have a lower level than many other developed um, healthcare systems. That team is what makes the difference yes. in an NHS trust. So, you know, you may not think you're going to be a sort of highly prestigious surgeon but that doesn't mean you haven't got a place or a role to play in the NHS you know we need you and what's more we've got some really good jobs to offer you so we need to tell young people about that but then when people come into the NHS we need to look after them properly and you know there's not much good that has come out of the pandemic but one of the things I think we've learned over the period of the pandemic is the importance of staff well-being Yes. So, you know, at Barts, we now have well-being hubs in each of the hospitals. I have to say we've had very good support from Barts Charity. But as the charity was saying to me just the other day, and we and we know as a board, we've got to start mainstreaming. That's got to be mainstream NHS business, not a nice to have, but something that it's sort of uh, crucial that you do for your staff so that you you look after them and you keep them. And then, as I say, we've got to make sure that we're inclusive work places where you know regardless of what back of what background you come from you will be respected and you can get on in the NHS as well and and I, th I think your point about health and well-being hubs and adding value to your employees I think is quite mm. important increasingly people when they're looking for employment um, and and now when they've probably got a choice of employers mm. how the organization looks after them is increasingly important and so that will pay in dividends, not only in keeping your staff well, but making sure they want to come and work for you in the first place. Yeah. I, I think the variety of careers is, is really important. I was visiting South Warwickshire recently and met a young man who'd been in the banking sector. And, you know, his background was IT and technology, and <clears throat> he completely transformed their community services was doing a fantastic job so you're absolutely yeah. right there is a whole range of jobs in the health services that are not anything to do with doctors and nurses that yeah. that people can come and join you and make a real tangible difference we've got some incredibly exciting opportunities in the whole area of digital as you say and and what's more we really need good people to help us to yes. to develop that you know the way in which we're um, using data in research, the way in which we're using digital technology to enable people to manage their own healthcare conditions, the use of, you know, video and other technologies so that people don't always have to come into the hospital to see uh, the clinicians. I mean, we've got, we, we We've not always in the NHS had a good history uh, in terms of IT, but we've got massive opportunities now in that whole digital sphere. It's something, you know, to be fair, the government is taking seriously, the NHS nationally is taking seriously. Um, and, um, you know, at UHB, we had very, very well developed um, digital um, uh, capacity, which meant, frankly, that our patients were safer because of the way in which we could use that. Uh, clinicians could use that uh, in caring for them in making sure that they were being treated and getting the drugs that they needed. Um, and but there are other parts of the NHS where we need to make more progress, including in at least one of the trusts that I'm responsible for. So, you know, if you've got if you're interested in IT and, you know, imaginative uses of digital, 
um, come and work in the NHS. If you're interested in comms, come and work in the NHS. You know, if you're interested in um, administration and and management and logistics and procurement and uh, physics and all sorts of other things, there is a place for you in the NHS. And what's more, it's really interesting work. People are proud to work in the NHS. They work blooming hard and they don't always get paid enough. But, you know, it's a fantastic thing to be part of. Well, the, the job satisfaction you get back from this is incredible. And you mentioned administrators and managers who often get a bad shout, really, yeah. when the NHS talked about. But of course, a really complex organisation, you know, from, from the point at which somebody has their heart attack at home to them being discharged from hospital, to manage that is, is a complex area. So as you say, if you're bright, young, or even older and are coming from a different mm. sector um, and you want to make a difference to the NHS, this is a great opportunity for you, whatever, whatever your skills. Um, I, I think I must sort of finish by, by asking you, um, I've always felt with the NHS that the NHS rather feels if the government would just leave them alone, they could get on with their job <laughs> and do it quicker and, and better. So I guess I have to ask you, if you, if you had some asks of government, what, what would it be at the moment? Let's park money, because I know money is... Well, because, you know, the, the NHS demand for money is insatiable, really. Yeah. Demand yeah. will always outstrip supply and it will never be enough. Mm. So if we part money, what would be your ask of government at the moment? I think there are probably two things. You're right that one of them is um, government will always be, you know, I've, I've never believed that you could make the NHS non-political because, you know, it's spending an enormous amount of money. It's dealing with people at the most significant points of their lives when they're born, when they're ill, when they die. So rightly, politicians will always be interested in it. But what I hope that politicians will be thinking about is how do they set the environment for the NHS to flourish, not how do they, uh, you know, every week send out an email saying we need to know this detail and that detail and you need to do it in this way and that way, because there is a hell of a lot of real talent in the leadership within the NHS and it has to be allowed to get on with things. It has to be encouraged to work together uh, locally in systems. I think integrated care systems have got real potential, but only if what they're doing is adding value, bringing people together to find new solutions, not putting a new layer of bureaucracy over the top of NHS trusts. So that's my, what, my first ask. And my second ask is helping us to plan the workforce. You know, we've got to be better at knowing what we need in the NHS how we're going to be training them and making sure that there are enough of them around. Because although we've talked a lot about what we can do in trusts to encourage and find new workers, um, actually it's a national task to make sure that the workforce planning is right as well. Yeah, workforce planning has, has um, dogged many governments, mm -hmm. I know. Absolutely. And, and some of that not helped by the shift of, of policy direction, you know, looking after people in hospital or discharging more people to be looked after at home and with policy shifts come so come workforce planning shifts as well so mm. it's quite hard to get up so your message to government is let us get on with it 
It is a bit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be breathing down our necks. I know, you know, you make huge returns to government all the time and it yes. can feel like it's an obstruction. Yes. Um, as you say, I think it's, it's right. The government spends a lot of money on the NHS. A lot of its national budget is spent on the NHS. So oversight is needed. Mm. But it's the degree of oversight. Exactly. And we should be accountable. We should be accountable to our local communities. We should be accountable to government for the spending of taxpayers' money. That's not my problem. My problem is um, micromanagement, yes. not accountability. Yeah. Yes. For, for those old enough, we could take um, listens to this back to Jennifer's year, which <laughs> <laughs> I think was... Uh, so anybody listening to this will have to go and look that up. Um, but it's where, you know, government says they're not going to interfere with the NHS. Let them make the decisions they need to. And then when there's a bad headline, they pour over it and, and pile in. And it, it gets in the way. So, Jackie, former Home Secretary, ex-health minister, now chairman of your second NHS trust. Um, Bart's is doing a great job and I'm sure you're going to take it into the next 10 years doing an even better job. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure.